Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Here you go. Here you go. Four... Four, look out. Nothing personal. Word of the day is four as an F-O-R-E. Who watched it? Just admit it. It's Memorial Day. Woods, Phil Mickelson, Tom Brady, and Peyton Manning went golfing in the pouring rain down here in Florida yesterday. The rain was unrelenting. It was raining sideways for crying out loud. It's a little meatloaf reference early in the show. For crying out loud. So four, I I didn't like it. Here's why. I liked the match. It was fine. I liked the access. I liked hearing the back and forth. I liked Charles Barkley. What I didn't like, all of the people who take such pleasure in the failure of others. Now, you know I had a word of the day back early on in nothing personal. Schadenfreude, one of my favorite words. Happiness at the misfortune of others. Couldn't reuse it. We're never, never, never say never, Coca. We're never going to reuse a word of the day. Because, yes, we keep track. So that's why it's four, as in look out. It's a bad golf shot. That's what you're supposed to do when you're going to hit someone. I don't golf. I went to uh, golf for Jeff Conine's 50th birthday. A, a few of us went to Scotland And I bought all of these golf clothes. I had to buy golf clubs, golf clothes, because you got to fake it till you make it, right? So I look like a real golfer. And I had participated in golf tournaments and charity tournaments, but I'm always there just for comic relief and to have fun. Those of you who have been to Marlins golf tournaments in the past, they were epic, raised money for charity. I would stay on a hole and me and Giancarlo Stanton or me and Jose Fernandez, we would stay on the hole together and just party with people from the Clevelander and I would hit shots and raise money. So I'm not a golfer. So the first thing I learned about golfing is that when you hit a shot, you have to yell four. I thought that's just what you say after every shot. So I then learned that you only say when it's a bad shot. So for me, obviously that was every shot. So you hit the ball and you say four because you're going to hit someone. So in Scotland, like St. Andrews, we played the old course in St. Andrews, true story. And this is verifiable. I parred the 18th hole at St. Andrews on the old course. I'll never have a better hole than that. I hit four straight shots, three to the green, and then putted, one putted. It was incredible. It felt great. Not, and I haven't played around since, and Conine's not 50 anymore. And I actually haven't put on the clothes. I haven't taken out the golf clubs, nothing. So apparently four is just for a bad shot. So I learned that rule. I get on one of the tees. We played like five rounds in four days. It was brutal, but fantastic. So there is a group in front of us and they're on a side hole. Apparently what they do in golf is you have one hole going north and then the hole coming back goes south. So it's next to you, but obviously you're not supposed to hit any of those people. You wait to hit. So the people in front of you are gone. That makes sense. Although I never understood in golf, I was taught you don't stand near the hole 
when people are hitting into you because you don't want them to hit you. So you wait until people, what's called clear the green. Maybe you could explain this to me because from where I'm standing, if I'm hitting the ball, the single safest place to stand is directly on top of the hole. You are guaranteed not to get hit. Literally, don't stand to the side. Stand directly on the hole until I'm done hitting. So on the side, there's a, there's a caddy because there's, there's no carts. It's caddies in, in Scotland. And I hit a ball. I yell four because that's what you do. And the ball, <laughs> it hit the caddy. <laughs> it hit the caddy. I hit a guy who was on a different hole. It wasn't great. I was booed and there was no gallery. It was pre-COVID time and there was no gallery. So Tom Brady is getting slammed on Twitter. Absolutely slammed. And I don't know that he has his phone with him because he's not checking his phone. He may not know what's happening. He ends up hitting one of the great shots of the match where he hold a ball, if that's the way to say it. He got a ball directly in the hole from the fairway, like from, it must have been from like 500 yards out. It was, he took a huge wooden thick uh, club and hit it 800 yards and it spun directly in the hole. I just think that what's interesting to me is people were so excited to get so down on Tom Brady. Hey, I guess he's more like me. Hey, it's good to know he's not great at everything. It's like if you're the greatest quarterback of all time and you're good looking and you're married to Giselle and you now play for the Buccaneers, that your life must be perfect. And if you can't play golf well, that means, oh, you must be closer to the way we are. I never understood that. Why not strive to be better instead of hoping people are worse so you can be just like them? I've just never followed that train of thought. The takeaway from the match, part two, is that we are now in a position where without fans, the networks and the athletes have to make an adjustment. It's a game of adjustments, and an adjustment was made where access is the name of the game. And when you get to hear what athletes are saying, when you get to hear the, what's it called, the trash talk, wow, that's a Memorial Day brain cloud. The trash talk, by the way, Memorial Day, I want to reach out and say to veterans, for all of the people who have ever served, I would like to thank you and say that you did something that I never had the courage to do. You made this country so I could do what I do and entertain you on nothing personal for 45 minutes every day. And I wouldn't dream of taking Memorial Day off because you wouldn't dream as a veteran or as a member of the armed forces, you wouldn't dream of taking a day off. So my heart goes out to you, my thanks, my appreciation, my love, my respect. And just remember, if you don't hear it every day, you should, but every day should be Memorial Day. Happy Memorial Day, and thank you. So these athletes who are getting access, one of the things that players talk about all the time is their unwillingness to be microphoned. They're worried. They're embarrassed. What are they going to say? What's it going to look like? So now what is happening is there is an opportunity to teach these players that access is how you will be able to monetize. So what's going to happen very simply is that baseball players, basketball players, football players are going to have to get to be used to being mic'd. Golfers, if there's no 
athletes in the stand, if there's no fans in the stands, if there's no noise, we could do one of two things. We could pipe in noise or the other thing you do is you don't listen to the dull roar of the crowd. Instead, you choose to listen to what the competitors are saying. I liked it. I think it's going to be a thing and a good thing. Four. Okay. I got to tell you a story. There's something happened yesterday in Pensacola, Florida. Pensacola is a city in Florida. It's a, I think it's right in the panhandle. It's a different time zone, but I didn't know that at first. I think Pensacola, Florida, Coca, just confirm this for me. I think Pensacola is in the central time zone. I don't know why I think that, but I have a memory of part of the story I want to tell you. Why is Pensacola on my mind? And it's on my mind because right now it has been brought to everybody's attention that the Pensacola Stadium, the baseball stadium in Pensacola, where the Minnesota Twins have their AA affiliate, they have listed their stadium on Airbnb. You can rent their stadium for $1,500 a night and 10 people, they have 10 beds. I guess that could mean up to 20 people. Or depending on your proclivity, it could be up to 50 people. I didn't see a limit, actually. But the clubhouse is open. You can play baseball on the field. You can eat in the clubhouse. You can just live the life of a baseball player. And for 1500 bucks, amortize that over if you're really into it, 30 people, say 50 people, it's nothing. God, would that be amazing? I'm all in. Why is Pensacola doing that? Because if you're not making money as a minor league stadium or minor league owner because the minor league season is going to be canceled, you have two choices. The first choice is you can get under the covers, suck your thumb in the fetal position, and say, please wake me when this goes away. In the meantime, I'm going to stick, stick raspberries, blackberries, boysenberries, twigs, sticks, and rocks up my tuchus while I hibernate. Then, when COVID's over, I'll pull it out, I'll pass some gas, and I'll be ready to roll. That's one way to do it. Before you at David P. Sampson, me, just know that I just described the exact thing that bears do before they hibernate. Literally, that's what they do. Anyway, you don't care about that. Actually, you should. It's one of the coolest things ever. And I think it's true. I wonder if that's a Bubba Meister. Coca, it, do bears before they hibernate actually stick rocks and stones and twigs and berries? I think they do because they eat a lot and they got to make sure they can live through the hibernation. Anyway, you could do that or you could find other ways to make money. The people in Pensacola said, we have an idea. Why not make an extra $1,500 a night? And I think it's going to sell out. What I love about it is that that is what Major League Baseball teams should do. And I love the fact that we used to do that with the Marlins. We would invite groups if they were sponsors or groups who would pay, and they could come watch a movie on the Jumbotron and have a sleepover. They could be in the clubhouse and sleep over both Marlins Park and Pro Player Stadium. Why? Because that's called non-baseball-related revenue. And non-baseball-related revenue you get to keep. Because in baseball, there's something called revenue sharing. And when you receive revenue sharing dollars for every new dollar of baseball related revenue that you raise, you actually only keep 66 cents of it, rough math. But if you raise a dollar of non-baseball related revenue, like a concert or like an Airbnb sleepover, guess what? You get to keep a dollar. 
So our job was to get as much non-baseball related revenue as possible. Pensacola has it. And it's reminded me of my great Pensacola story. I've never been to Pensacola in my life except one time. And here is the story of how David Sampson, I'm not referring to myself in the third person. I'm just saying this is the story. It's nothing personal. This is the story of going to Pensacola. In 2011, on 11-11-11, we unveiled, we, and that's not a dollar coca because back then it was a we, the Florida Marlins became the Miami Marlins. There had been about a year process of coming up with a new logo. You all hated it. It got leaked. And then all of a sudden you bought all the merchandise and it was one of the top selling hats in 2012 prior to all the craziness. But it was sort of the rainbow M and there was a a very, what I thought was an incredibly sleek Marlin on top of the M. If we were back, not in the home studio or Coca could get a raise from CBS, we would right now be able to show you If you're watching on YouTube, we'd be able to show you the Marlins logo, but I can't and he can't. But in any case, we developed this logo, had a sleek Marlin, it came over the M and we're getting ready to unveil it and we're making shirts and we are getting trademarks and copyrights and we're getting licenses and we're getting ready to unveil. And when you unveil, as you know, you start selling stuff because that's how you make money. So we get a letter sometime in 2011 from someone in Pensacola, Florida, saying, stop, you are in violation of my copyright and trademark. He was the owner of a restaurant, I'll never forget this, of a restaurant called the Grand Marlin in Pensacola, Florida. There was one in Panama City and one on in Pensacola, Florida. And this guy owned this restaurant, and apparently he sold clothes in the gift shop that had a Marlin that looked pretty familiar and pretty close to the Marlin that we were using as part of our logo. So the guy sends a mean lawyer letter, and I get it, and I say, all right, put it on the list. I got to deal with it, and I do what I'm going to do, which is I call the owner and I call our lawyer. Not necessarily in that order. I say, we have a small problem here, but I'm going to take care of it. So I call up this guy and I say, his name was Rod, I believe. Rob or Rod. I think it was Rod. And I say, Rod, it's David Sampson, president of the Marlins. I really don't see any similarity in our Marlins and we are unveiling. So please explain to me what your cause of action is and are you serious? And I figured I would offer him, you know, a signed ball and that would be the end of it. And he would go away and I'd move on to the next because this happens on every Tuesday. You're dealing with people who are threatening to sue you. You call them and, and you just settle it, deal with it, and it's done. This guy would not budge. And he was fully lawyered up and he made it very clear that he was willing to spend whatever money was necessary that we could not use this Marlin. And that was a non-starter because we had developed the Marlin, we had approved the Marlin, we were going with the Marlin and we were doing polo shirts and t-shirts and jerseys and we're, we're going forward. And we were not going to be, I always viewed us in baseball that we were the Buffalo and we were not going to be taken over by a flea. And that is a horrible way to think about it because this is the man's business, the man's livelihood. But I was a bull in the china shop. I didn't care back then. 
And I'm not saying I care now. I'm just saying I understand it more now. But when you're in the zone, you're in the zone. I had a job to do. So I say to the lawyer, I say to our owner, I said, uh, Jeffrey, this guy's not going away. I'm not sure what we have to do. So Jeffrey said, it's very simple, David. Get your ass to Pensacola. So I had to get on a plane and I made a meeting and I said, all right, Rod, I will come. Let me come see you. And he said, fine, you can come see me all you want. I want to show you why this is a violation. So I went to Pensacola. It, let's say it was an 11 o'clock a.m. meeting. I'm making up the time because I can't remember the time. So I get there in time for the 11 o'clock meeting and I go into the restaurant because that's where he wanted to meet was in his Grand Marlin restaurant. And I say, I'm here for my 11 o'clock meeting with Rod. And the person there says, wow, you're an hour early. And I said, no, I'm not. The meeting is at 11 and not noon because it was 11. And if anyone knows me at all, they know one thing. I am on time. The person said, it's 10 o'clock. And I said, what do you mean? It's not 10 o'clock. It's 11 o'clock. Did I miss like daylight savings time? And the person said, we're in the central time zone. And I said, what? That's impossible. Are we not in Florida? That's how I learned that Pensacola was in the central time zone. So I sat there for an hour because Rod did not come down one second earlier than 11. Comes down at 11. We sit down. He gives me a tour of the Grand Marlin restaurant. He brings me into the gift shop. He shows me his shirts that he's selling. And they were shirts that had this Marlin logo on it. And I said, all right, Rod, are we going to eat during this meeting? Because I'd love to taste your food. So I ordered like a fish sandwich with fries. And I violated every rule of meetings, which you don't order food that you can't eat with a fork and a knife. But I felt like I was the big, bad baseball executive that I could violate any meeting I wanted. I could use 50 paper napkins. I could do it all. So I ordered the fish sandwich. I'm eating it. I'm messy. I'm getting tartar sauce everywhere. And I'm trying to explain to him that there's nothing we can do here because we'll go to court with you because we are using this Marlin. And he had said that his original position was, you may not use it at all. So what I decided to do is without any authority from the owner or from Major League Baseball or from anyone, I said in my head, all right, I've got a solution. I've got a solution. And this is the last option. So I said, as I was wiping the corner of my beardless face, I said, okay, here's what we can offer. We'll give you tickets to opening day in the new ballpark, some autographed materials, and we will never sell any piece of clothing or any other merchandise that has just the Marlin on it. And he looked at me and he said, wait a minute, are you still going to use the Marlin with the M? I said, yes, that's a guarantee. He said, but you're willing to sign a document that you will not use the Marlin alone because that's what he did. And I said, yes. And we had a deal. We found a compromise. 
over a fish sandwich at the Grand Marlin in Pensacola at about 1.30 p.m., meaning two and a half hours into a meeting, we found a solution. I don't even remember if Rod came to opening day. He may have. I remember that he was unhappy with the solution and so was I, which means it was a good solution. I remember that we convinced Jeffrey and MLB and our own lawyers that this is what we had to do. And we spoke to our merchandise people and all the licensees who made garments. And that is why you will never see the Marlins, which by the way, Jeter's gotten rid of, so it's a whole new logo. But you'll never see a shirt anywhere with the Marlin part of the Marlins logo without the M because of the Grand Marlin in Pensacola, Florida, which is on Central Time with a double A stadium that you can rent for $1,500 a night. Well, we've got breaking news. Yes, we do. The NHL has released plans for how they can get to phase two of returning to play. I like that, actually, because they're doing a whole thing. Now, I'm just getting this now, so I do want to put my glasses on. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed. I actually get, I told you the story of my glasses, right? These are $10 glasses or $5 glasses. I leave them all over everywhere. If I lose them, I lose them. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on glasses. It's Walgreens or it's Amazon now where they just come. And I replace them. I'm actually getting a delivery tomorrow of five or six new pairs. And I just leave them in different places. And I'm okay to wear them because I do need reading glasses from time to time. It's not the end of the world. It's fine. So the NHL said that they want to get into phase two. Phase two for them is when they, by the way, if you're listening, I appreciate that. And I could have skipped the entire reading glasses story and you wouldn't have known that I'm wearing reading glasses right now. But I am. Please go on Apple, by the way, five star rate, review, ask a question. We're going to be doing the mailbag pod at the end of May. It'll be released the first Saturday in June. I don't know why we do that, but we do. I don't, that's the most random thing in the world. Anyway, Saturday, June something. I don't remember the date, 5th, 6th, whatever it is, is the first Saturday. Ask a question in the review that you leave on Apple. So, thank you. Phase two. This is about protocols. This is about getting players back into their facilities. Let me be clear because there's going to be a lot of confusion right now. There was nothing in this at all about a timeline for training camp, about a timeline for return to play. Why? Because they're smart. Gary Bettman, the commissioner of hockey, he knows there is no timeline. We're now beginning to think about a phase two where we can have no more than six skaters on a rink, no coaches, no contact, no nothing. It's just starting to get your sea legs under you. We don't even know when. They went into a full 20-page document about testing, about the need for testing, even those who are anti, anti, who are asymptomatic. Masks all the time, except when you're on the ice. Weightlifting. You can weightlift, but not with spotters. I want to make sure that everyone is clear on why these rules are so significant, right? Only six players on the rink at once. Why player participation is strictly voluntary. You can't make your employees come back if employees are uncomfortable, if they're sheltered at home. 
if they don't want to get in the ice, if they don't want to be around other people, even with social distancing. This has taken a mental toll on many people. We don't even know where it's going to end. But what we do know is employers have to be super careful and super tolerant. Even though we want sports to come back, even though we're beginning to see golf and we may even see a golf tournament in the next two weeks. The reality is that for one of the four major pro sports to start, in addition to the economic agreements that have to take place, we have to understand that not all players are going to want to come back. And if they do, they won't all want to come back at the same time. The memo from NHL is really good about that. Their goal, of course, is early June for phase two, recognizing that it may not happen. So what is my thought exactly on the NHL and its phase two and what does it mean for when it's going to start? Well, what it means to me is every sport's going to have to have this exact same phase two plan. So just let's talk baseball since we're all excited the baseball is going to happen. Just know this. Weren't we? Dollar coca. It's a dollar. When is it going to stop? You got you, you still haven't told me what I owe. It's going to hurt one of these days. Baseball is not simply going to be a flick of the switch where they have an agreement on salaries and economic principles. And all of a sudden, they say spring training will start on June 10th and everything will be normal. Every player will come in. There'll be workouts. There'll be cameras at the workouts. We'll hear the crack of the bat. And then the games will start on July 4th. We'll go through a season It's just not going to be that way. And the leagues who understand that, the players who understand that, the sponsors who understand that, and the fans who understand that, all of those different constituencies, if there's not complete understanding, broadcasters, rights holders, everybody needs to be on the same page. Because if they're not like this, locking their hands together, there won't be sports coming back. So what the NHL does after this memo, we're going to watch how phase two works. We're going to watch how the testing works because they made it clear in this memo that all of this is contingent upon there being enough testing kits for all essential healthcare workers whenever they want to be tested. Something's going to give. NHL is not the only sport active today. Don Garber, Major League Soccer. Do you remember that sport? People don't talk about Major League Soccer. What a bad-timed pandemic for everyone, but we talked about how bad it's been for Inter-Miami. The first year after seven years or six years of stops and starts and David Beckham and Victoria Spice and everyone saying Major League Soccer is coming back to Miami all ready for opening day. Built a new, that's not a new stadium, it's a new temporary facility in Fort Lauderdale. Well, Don Garber has now sent a memo to all league and club personnel. And he is taking a slightly different approach. And I love this. He's trying to say, listen, let's make sure that all our ducks in a row. Let's make sure that we get through this COVID pandemic together because we want to get started. We don't know if it's going to be in a single bubble situation. We don't know when Miami will get to open a stadium. But here's the one thing I do know. If you're going to leak information and be public about anything that we are negotiating, taking a page out of the Bud Selig playbook, we are going to fine you up to $1 million. This was a memo 
that said that the leaked information, quote, is impacting our negotiations with players, commercial partners, and local authorities. This will severely imperil the future of our league. They are investigating the leaks and they will determine the source. And once they do, the commissioner will have full and complete authority to discipline any MLS employee or owner. I love it. Can I tell you the story of leaking? You've heard the great nothing personal leak story of how we would give wrong information to different people in the company and then watch it get out and then we'd know who leaked it. Basically, baseball had leaks all over and they would, during owners meetings, one of my scores of memories of Bud Seeley during owners meetings, he would hold up a piece of paper. It would be a memo, be a memo that he would have given and he would hold it up. I'm holding up a piece of paper right now. It's a notepad, but he'd hold up the memo and he'd say, God damn it. Tell me, who's this good for? Was this good for you? Did you feel good? Do you feel important? You tell me why this memo, the minute I sent it, is in the press. You tell me. You get off on giving information because you think it matters? Do you realize the harm you're doing? I'm going to find you. I'm going to figure it out. That's what he would do. So Don Garber wants to be like that. There was a memo leaked to The Athletic. And so he wants to find out who did it. I get it. Here's the problem. The effort that is required to actually find the source of leaks, it takes away so much of your energy and of your time that especially now, there is a chance that leaking is done in order to divide and conquer. Because when you're negotiating a deal between two parties, the best thing you can have is a other side where they are not unified in their voice and in their position. That they don't have their act together. Because then, it's like Survivor, right? When you're trying to get into an alliance and break an alliance, you look for a weak part in an alliance and then you get yourself a crack in the, in the alliance and you split the alliance. That's exactly what happens when the commissioner's office has to spend time and resources figuring out who's leaking memos. It doesn't work well. I understand why Don Garber's doing it. I really do. And it's not wrong that he's doing it that way. It's really not. But for me, he's got to be focusing on getting his league going. And while he said something that's interesting, that his view is that the league could severely imperil the future of our league. We used to use that line all the time. Do you know when you leak stuff that you are hurting our negotiations with the players union? Do you know when you leak this information, we're trying to do a billion dollar deal with this sponsor. We're trying to sell ML BAM, BAM tech, and you are leaking information. We are trying to sell the Dodgers in an auction. And we're trying to make sure that Frank McCourt is out of the game and get the most we can. And you leaking any information about our process is hurtful to the amount of money that's going to hurt the value of your team. I could go on. Myriad ways that leaking can hurt. Here's the reality, though. It never actually does. So Don Garber's worried that he will have a wor worst, worst, he will have a worse financial deal 
with his players or with his commercial partners. If any information about some of the internal negotiating that's going on between owners and between owners and the, and their partners or their players. But at the end of the day, the owners are in charge. If the deal isn't good enough, there just won't be major league soccer and it'll end up being like Vince McMahon and the XFL. Or you go to your players or you go to your commercial partners and say, listen, it's very simple. Excuse me. It's very simple. I don't know why I said, excuse me. I muted you. If you think that we're going to come back to play and return to play in a way that is so bad for us financially that it'll drive us under, it's not going to be worth it. So you can bring us to the line, but don't think we're going to go over it. And by the way, if you had the information leaked to you where you know what I'm negotiating and where my bottom line is, it sucks. It means that you're going to know where I'm ready to give and where I'm not. But if I'm ready to give and that's in a memo to owners and the owners really are ready to give on these following 10 points, then we're going to eventually get to the point where we're going to give on those 10 points because I'm always going to assume that my enemy is just as smart as I am and that they're going to figure out and keep going till they get to those breaking points. Now, are we making it go faster? Yes, we are. Now we're talking strategic leaking to make a negotiation go faster because you know we're going to break, but you know there's got to be tons of back and forth. We would do this with players when we were negotiating contracts. If we knew that a player wanted $10 million a year, but he would accept $8 million a year, but he asked for $12 million a year, but we had information that he was willing to take $8 million a year, I would call the agent and say, listen, our GM is going to be going back and forth with you. I'm telling you right now, we're offering four and you want 12. We're going to have to take 20 steps toward each other, but I know I'm willing to do eight. You know you're willing to take eight. Call your player and let's go. Let's do eight and let's pretend we don't have to take the 20 steps from 12 and four to 10 and six to nine and seven to settle at eight. That is the benefit of information. Is there a chance that absent that information, the player would have bent and taken seven? Is there a chance that knowing the player was where he was going to end up, not knowing that we would have offered that player nine and settled at nine? Yes, there is. So I understand that there is a chance of peril. But when you've got two negotiators who know what they're doing, in my 12 million and 4 million example, Nine times out of 10, you're going to end up at eight. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I watched a lot of movies this weekend. Yes, I did. Um, I got to talk about one because it's, I'm going to review it. Valley Girl. Valley Girl 2020 is a redone movie from one of my favorite movies from 1983 with Nicolas Cage and Deborah Foreman and Lee Purcell and Colleen Camp and Frederick Forrest. That was Valley Girl in 1983. It is a story about a punk, punker, punk rocker from Hollywood who ends up falling in love with a Valley Girl, like for sure, totally. And how the friends, all sides, did not permit the mixing of the worlds, only two miles apart. But the difference between Hollywood and the Valley is so significant. The Valley girls are like totally for sure. And the punkers are the ones who had spiked hair and pierced ears and pierced everything back in the 80s before everybody was piercing tattoos before everyone was being tattooed. And what do you do? Do you choose your friends who are judging you over who you love or do you choose who you love? So they decided to redo Valley Girl and they redid it and they just released it. So I watched it. It's a musical. They made Valley Girl a musical. It was also filmed in 2018, set for release in 18, and they shelved it for two years. Then they were going to theatrically release it and then COVID came. So they said, you know what? To hell with it. We're going digital. So for $6.99, I rented Valley Girl 2020, and I was all in. I sat down so excited. I looked at who they cast as the new Julie. She's an uh, actress who was in La La Land, whose name escapes me. They casted the new Nicolas Cage. They updated him. They put tattoos on him. I said there were tattoos on Hollywood guys back in the old days, but Nicolas Cage didn't have tattoos. This was the first big role for Nicolas Cage. He was 19 when he did it in 1983. Then they started singing. I don't even understand it. They were doing 80s songs. Her name is Jessica Roth. Thank you, Coca. They were singing 80s songs. They were trying to make it like Rock of Ages. They were trying to make it like Moulin Rouge, and it didn't work. It didn't move the plot along. The music was great. The soundtrack in Valley Girl 2020 is amazing. The guy who plays Julie's Valley boyfriend, the best athlete and the prom king, was played by a guy who I thought was totally miscast. Didn't understand why he would play the new Tommy and why they would rename him Mikey. I then did some research into Valley Girl and found out that the part of the old Tommy, the new Mikey, same guy, same character, is played by a guy named Logan Paul. I admit it, I never heard of Logan Paul. Logan Paul is a YouTube sensation. 
with millions and millions and millions of followers, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of hits and tweets and twitches and twatches and twatters and Instagrammers and Facebookers and whatever it is, this guy is the guy. I don't know why. But then I read further that because he was involved in Valley Girl, when it was filmed, it was shelved because of him. Not because the movie was so bad. It was shelved because he was suspended off YouTube. He was taken off the trending list. He was given a 90-day suspension because he did a, he, he like filmed a video of a dead guy in Japan who had just committed suicide. And then he had made some anti-Semitic or anti-homosexual uh, 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 posts. And they shelved it. And now it's back. And it got me thinking, my, how things have changed. Because in the original Valley Girl, one of the big songs is by Josie Cotton. And the title of it is Johnny, Are You Queer? Johnny, Are You Queer, Boy? And the women singing it put their hands down in what used to be known as a gesture of, of, of a sign of homosexuality. Like if you have your right ear pierced and you put your hand down in a, what I would say is an oy vey or give me a break, but it's a flick of the wrist. They completely were making fun of homosexuals, yet the song is actually about a woman who is saying, why aren't you attracted to me? Are you attracted to men? Johnny, are you queer? She's saying, why don't you want to be in my bed? You, are you queer? So politically not correct. It became like a, a fight song for homosexuals back in the 80s. But do you think that song would play in 2020? There's not a chance. How great is that? In only 37 years. Now, that may seem like a lifetime. And I get it because for people who had to live it, it is a lifetime. And there are people who died never having seen the change. But that's part of change in history. Many people die. We talk about planting seeds for trees whose shade we will never, ever get to enjoy. That's part of our job is that we're trying to make changes to better society, to leave society in a better place than when you found it. And it may not benefit everybody. But the openness of our society, and by the way, there's still so much prejudice, so much, and it's so angering to me. Who cares? Who cares? Just loving someone and being loved in return seems like a pretty damn good plan to me. And it took 37 years. People say it took 100 years. People say it's not done yet. And I'll agree with all of you. It's not done yet. But the progress made since 1983, where I can go watch the 83 Valley Girl, which I did back to back after watching the 2020 Valley Girl, and say to myself, not today, and still have a love, I like it. Valley Girl 2020, please see it as a double feature, if you don't mind. Do the 2020 and then the 1983. ML Beard Challenge, it's day 71. Day 71. Now, Mondays, today's uh, Monday, and I always know Monday because I know that we have three days which have passed. And the ML Beer Challenge does not stop for the weekend. It doesn't stop for Memorial Day. It doesn't stop for anything. 
The ML Beard Challenge continues. We will not shave. By the way, Coke and I were talking before the show, and it's so bad now that when we work out, I don't know how you people do this with mustaches, either purposeful or not purposeful. It's in my nose. I'm having a hard time breathing while running now because I get little hairs. And every time I brush my teeth or eat or use 20 napkins, which is not good for the environment, but I have no choice because I have stuff everywhere. So we're growing the beard. We've been growing it for 71 days. Day 69 was on Saturday. Day 69, Ottawa Senators. I'm going back to Canada in honor of the Ottawa Senators and their brilliant hiring practices. We're given $1,000. $1,000 for the first 100 days of this beer challenge to different cities, organizations. We chose Ottawa Senators for day 69. Why is that? Hmm. That's a wait to see. You're going to have to wait a long time. Day 70, I asked you all to give me suggestions, and you did. Keep giving them, please. More organizations. It's been great. There are so many great causes. It's why I've always asked. If you have $19 or $190 in honor of COVID-19 or any amount you want, $20 for 2020. Helping people who need help is always important. It's always been important. It will always be important. We are in a particular part of history that it is critical. Someone submitted a Chicago charity called Misericordia. Thank you. I'm giving $1,000. Day 71 is today. I thought about baseball and I thought about charities and I thought about the good people in baseball. And it just so happens that on TV this weekend was a game from the 2003 postseason. And it was a game against the Cubs and the Marlins National League Championship Series, which the Marlins ended up winning. And then we went on to beat the Yankees. And one of the great pictures I have in my mind is of Joe Torre, who I got to know in baseball and I continue to know and speak to, and I'm lucky to count him as a friend. He is a good man. I don't feel sorry for beating him in 2003, don't get me wrong. But I'm appreciative of what he does, his role in the history of baseball. I'm in awe of him. He has a foundation called the Safe at Home Foundation. And the Safe at Home Foundation is taking care and helps people who are victims of domestic abuse and domestic violence. And during this time of COVID-19, when people are sheltered at home, it's harder and harder for people to get to a phone or to get away and escape when they are the victim of domestic violence or domestic abuse. Joe Torrey's organization, Stay at Home, has been working overtime. They're like in the 28th inning as they work to adjust and make their services available and get the word out that help is there. So $1,000 for day 71 is going to the Joe Torrey Safe at Home Foundation. So part of this ML Beer Challenge is that it's important that you understand why we're doing what we're doing. We're not going to get to every charity. We're going to get to 100. That's for sure. But after 100 days, this beard may still be growing and there will still be needs for charity everywhere. And when you're thinking about your life, and your position, whether we're in a recession, depression, or whether the economy is booming again because sports has come back and you're happy, please take a minute and remember that not everyone is in the same position you are. And maybe you could say to yourself 
in this one instance that we're not going to make it about business, but instead we're going to make it personal. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com